Reg Flowers is an artist, activist, and educator whose work is rooted in ancient shamanic, African trickster, and Brazilian joker traditions. Reg uses theater of the oppressed, art of hosting, Navajo peacemaking, and other anti-oppression techniques as the foundation of their theater making, mediation, problem solving, and group healing practices. They are the founder of award-winning Falcon Works Theater Company, which uses popular theater to build capacities for civic engagement and social change. They have received broad recognition, numerous awards, and citations for their community service. They are a faculty member at Pace University and a company member of Shakespeare in Detroit. You can find out more about Reg at the Falcon Works website, which is falconworkstheater.org, or on Instagram at Notorious Pink Detroit. For this reading of the Sandy Monologues, multiple alternating characters are played by Isaac J. Connor, Jason Cohen, Jay Lindbury, Johnny Culver, Julie Stackhouse, Larry Wrinkle, Morgan Batchelder, Reg Flowers, Regina Yeager, Stephanie Batchelder, Stephen Bracco, and Tony Manzo. October 22nd. Tropical depression forms over the southwestern Caribbean Sea before strengthening into Tropical Storm Sandy. The NHA expects it to be comma hurricane by Wednesday, October 24th. Friends of ours who own a store on Van Brunt Street told us to move to Red Hook. We came on a weekend and we saw it and mm. loved it. Friends of ours told us to move to Red Hook. We came on a weekend and we saw it and we loved it. We moved in 2007. Since then, it's been great. I mean, we opened our own business on Van Braun Street in 2009. We moved in 2007. We opened our business in 2009. It changed for us then because we were no longer residents. We were part of the business community. We, we got to know a lot of people in Red Hook, which made us feel like we were part of it. Like, it was great. We got to know a lot of people, which made us feel more a part of it, which was great. Even before Sandy, Red Hook, with its urban homesteaders, was on the cutting edge of Brooklyn gentrification. Creative reuse of post-industrial landscape. They forget people lived in Red Hook long before entrepreneurs came and discovered it. The, the Lenape, the indigenous Brooklynites, when it was called Lenape Hong, believed that long ago there was an earth. There was no earth, only a vast realm of water below and sky above. First, people lived in the sky for they could not live on water. One day, we can say why, the sky opened and out fell a woman. And a tree. She landed in the water and was rescued by two swans. They carried her to the great turtle. The animals came together to decide what to do with the sky woman. They tried many things. It was the muskrat who dove deep into the waters. After a long time, Muskrat came up with a tree and a mouthful of earth from the bottom. The great turtle planted the tree in his own back so that the woman could live there. The tree reached branches into the ground and the branches took root. From the roots a man sprouted. The woman joined with him and together they gave birth to all the future generations on Turtle Island. I've lived here for a little over six, seven months now. I moved in August, just a few months before the storm. I was living just five minutes up the road and pretty much coming down here to work on a daily basis. It made sense just to be here. It's a neighborhood of growing economic disparities. Oh, it's got the front and the back. Rent in the houses is about 350 a month. Loft apartments down the block, $1,900, $2,000 a month. It's quiet, isolated. 
It's like living in a small town right outside of New York City. It's a peninsula. The B-61 bus. So many of the business owners live here. This neighborhood used to be very bad. There used to be a lot of shootings, a lot of stabbings, a lot of drug dealing. You know, but it changed a lot. Now we got traffic lights. We got a police station in the projects. Crime has calmed down a lot. Not a lot of shooting, you know, but there's a lot of racial profiling going on with that. Strip and search, stuff like that. I've lived here all my life. Still, it's not a bad place. It changed a lot over the years and it's beautiful. It really is. If you look at Red Hook and tour the neighborhood, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful. The Red Hook houses are home to 8,000 people and remain the largest affordable housing tract in Brooklyn and the second largest in New York City. They were built as part of a federal works program initiative under FDR in 1938 to accommodate the growing number of dock workers. Red Hook was a working class neighborhood from way back. You had a lot of immigrants on the waterfront. I could have been a contender. View from the bridge. The stuff Arthur Miller was writing about, Irish, Germans, Italians who worked the docks. The 20s Red Hook was one of the busiest freight ports in the world. And by the 60s, though, they started shipping out of Jersey and the work on this side dried up, so people left. That's when you got your Blacks, your Puerto Ricans. Red Hook was one of New York City's first Puerto Rican communities. October 24th at 2 a.m. The National Hurricane Center reports that Sandy continues to strengthen as it heads north, northward to Jamaica. 5 a.m. A tropical storm, which is issued for southeast Florida and the Upper Keys. 3.20 p.m. Sandy makes landfall in southeastern Jamaica at later in the evening. The eye of Sandy is approaching the coast of southeastern Cuba and could become a Category 2 hurricane before landfall. My favorite part about Red Hook is very few people actually evacuated. 90% stayed, which it ended up, particularly at the projects, being a real big mistake. I had heard about the storm, you know, I think before it really even hit the media, from my aunt who lives in New Mexico. But she's from Louisiana originally as well. A lot of my aunts and uncles were in Katrina, essentially, and were always keeping tabs on me. I asked the landlords, you know, are, are you guys worried about it? And they weren't, weren't worried about it. When they were okay with it, I was okay with it. Our storefront has sort of thin glass on the front being concerned about wind and debris. We boarded up with four by eights of ply where I mounted them to the top above the window. I'm a metal worker. I welded a bar from my building railing to my neighbor's building railing. I actually welded the bar to help hold the boards to the building because there was really no way to pin them up at that time. What we did after that was behind the boards in front of the front door to the store, we put up a lot of sandbags in front. Then on the inside of the door, we sandbagged again. This building is probably at least 100 years old. It took several days. The main thing is we own the building. We live in the building and we work in the building. We have tenants. This is our whole, we stayed. October 27th. Mayor Mike Bloomberg tells New Yorkers in a pre-storm press conference to prepare for the arrival of Sandy by staying indoors and avoiding low-lying areas. He adds that parks will be closed by 5 p.m. on Sunday. And that MTA shuts, 
shutdowns are possible by 7 p.m. Sunday. That Alapia had no choice but to trust in nature as the ultimate source of power, the total interlinking of man, animals, plants, and the natural elements. Ralph Waldo Emerson and Robert Frost owe their genius to, to Lenape's spiritual beliefs they call transcendentalism. It's like us with our devices. It's like we're connected to them. Maybe it was like that for the first people and nature. Maybe that's the closest we can come to feeling a deep and spiritual connection in the modern world. They announced that the hurricane was coming. We lived on the ground floor apartment ourselves. We prepared the store more than we prepared our apartment. And for the simple reason that our apartment is three feet off the street, we just didn't imagine it coming too much higher than that. We were going to actually stay. We were contemplating to stay here in Red Hook in our apartment because our landlord said that we were. We were going to stay. If worse came to worse and water actually got into our apartment, we could go to her apartment, which is on the third floor. She stayed. While we were sleeping. The strangest thing, it was the first time we ever experienced this, but the police department, they just rolled through the neighborhood all night to early morning hours, announcing on the intercom. The police rolled through the neighborhood announcing, if you have not yet evacuated, it's mandatory. Get out. Get out. Get out. October 28th. In the early morning, Sandy continues to move parallel to the southeast U.S. coast and is still expecting to bring strong winds and a storm surge flooding to the mid-Atlantic states and southern New England. I'm a paddler, and I kayak quite a few times a week in the New York Harbor, so I feel like I have a knowledge of the water and a relationship to the water, and it's one of the reasons I love living in Red Hook. When this storm was coming, I got really excited. I was planning on staying. I had friends calling and texting me, writing and saying, get out of Red Hook. And I thought, gosh, it's really being very dramatic. And I just stayed for a while. I would walk around in the neighborhood as the storm got worse and started to hit thinking, isn't this marvelous? Isn't this exciting? When we heard that the hurricane was on its way, of course, we had a lot of preparation to do. On Saturday night, we put out lines to Conover Street. Usually you'd tie to a bit, but there were none over there because the piers have fallen in, have fallen in the age and shipworn. I did have a piece of fallen pier, a huge five-ton piece of rock. I wrapped a rope around with a big shackle, tightened it down, and put a line to the vessel to pull us in. Around 4 p.m. I guess. Monday night. <clears throat> My wife abandoned ship, and it was me and the crew watching the tides coming up. It seemed very biblical to me that we should leave, that that was happening. It, it seemed so definite. They were so sure that something was going to happen. They didn't do that for the Irene. There was nothing to worry about. I told my husband, I said, listen, the wind has gotten really bad outside. We're not weathermen. The wind is not that bad. I said, we were told to pack and go along time ago and we packed it. What for if we're not going? The gold bag is just a precaution. We set the house together, put the apartment We set the house together. We went with our gold bags and stayed with a friend in Fort Greene. We took our gold bags with a friend in Fort Greene. We thought we were just going to be staying overnight. Overnight, or so we thought. 
Unfortunately, it turned out to be a lot longer than overnight. It turned out to be much longer. People were going out to the pier, taking pictures. We went and took pictures, and friends were there. I mean, it was rainy and mostly wind. I think probably somewhere around late afternoon, we went and got some dinner and came back and started noticing that the water was coming back up Van Brunt Street. In the morning. We noticed that the water was well above Conover Street. This was the, the one tide before. So Monday morning, we had a warning that it was going to be hellacious. So we all got some rest and took turns getting up to just walk around and make rounds. We had done a lot of our preparation. One of the crew fixed dinner, a pretty wonderful meal, come to think of it. Once you do what you need to do, there's not a whole lot you can do. And the, he kind of focused on making this amazing spread of food. I was too nervous to sit. I'd go over the table, grab something, and back to staring at the water or looking around like, what else? I packed my go bag, or what seemed like a go bag, ended up mainly mementos. That sense of excitement, infectious. You could see it on the faces. I remember how thinking how vivid all the colors were. People in their rain gear, bright yellows and oranges and pinks, and the colors of the neighborhood, usually quite dull, were brilliant against the gray backdrop of what was coming in. Then a point came late in the day. Around dinner time. It changed. Not drastic, but you could just feel it. I walked through the neighborhood and looking at the water and something, the, the, the color of the sky, the calm, the heaviness. I thought, this is different. This is really different. And I'm getting out of here. I was shopping that day trying to stock up on things me and the family would need. I figured we were maybe going to lose power. I figured maybe the stores would be closed a day, maybe two. I'm in the grocery store and it was like, all of a sudden everything turned like real dark and gray. I'm inside the grocery store and inside the place, it, it changed like the clouds had made their way inside the store. And I stopped shopping and I took whatever I had left, paid for my stuff and I started leaving. I'm rushing home and all of a sudden I started seeing a lot of water coming. I kept on moving towards the higher ground toward my building. And I get up there and I, I look out and what I saw through the window, they said Red Hook was an A zone area. It was a flood zone. I never thought Mother Nature's water was so fierce and, and so strong. Seven o'clock. We noticed that the water was coming up just the corner on, on both sides of our street, which I don't think we were expecting. We all thought it would just come from the harbor side, but it was definitely on both sides. I rented a car, a very large Jeep, just in case. And we met the landlord and the landlord's wife and his mother and their dog, who were pretty gung-ho about sticking it out because you know they had put a lot of work into restoring the house and everything. They made the decision to leave just as we were making our decision to leave as well, or the water was really making it for us. I walked down when it came past Beard. I walked across Van Dyke and down Conover to Reed. I watched it from Reed until I got cut off at Conover. I went back up Conover, I think by that time on Van Brunt, it had probably reached Coffee Street. And then I came down Van Dyke and watched it come Van Brunt from Coffee. It poured in my neighbors. He has a moat in front of the house and it poured in like a waterfall. It was, it was, Horrific. It was like watching the blob. 
especially when it came to a certain point when it wasn't just coming from the arbor at the end, it was coming from the guavas. It was coming from the buttermilk. It came up to Van Brunt. When it came on Dykeman and went into my friend's basement apartment, horrified again. And I walked back to Van Brunt and just watched it. I think I went off at a Walcott, watched, watched it down Walcott. My next door neighbors tried to leave at that point. They have two young kids. They made it two blocks and came back. I watched it stop 12 feet from our basement. It was crazy. When I say crazy, something I've never seen in my life. 20 years being in Red Hook, never seen such a thing like that. The water rise all the way up to my window still. That was a time when my kids panicked. My kids just started screaming and crying. One son 15, one 12, and my daughter five. Just those three, they, they were with me that day. We panicked. I mean, I panicked. Never in my life seen water get that high. Cars was moving on. They own, hitting against each other. We tried to make it across the street to my sister's house. She and the tall projects. And the sky rises. We tried to go across the street. Water up to the waist. Kids was screaming and was crying on top of me. And I was just trying to get over to across the street. People's yelling at me. Get out of the water. Electroclines are in the water. Everybody's just yelling at me. I, I didn't know which way to turn, which way to go. Everybody's just telling me. Get, get out of the water. water. Are you crazy? I say, look, I got to get over to the other side. I can't stay here. Water all the way up to my window, so. It's about to come to my house. I mean, what am I going to do? Sisters in the sky rises on the other 12th floor. We got to get her. We got to get her to the building. There was no lights, no electricity, nothing, nothing, nothing. Once we got up there, we look up to the other window and it's something that you, you see, you see this in the movies. I mean, you don't see this in the regular. This is something that you see in the movies. Okay. All the water's coming in from different sides, cars just moving, nobody in them. Looks like they're driving themselves to escape all the water. Nobody's even in them. This is happening and there's water kind of making its way towards you. Then you see blue sparks from the transformer boxes on our street start to go. You know, I, I think we had sort of made a few preparations by putting, well, I'm a writer. So I think the one thing I thought I would maybe try were to save my books. Yeah, I had about 10 minutes just to grab whatever else I could think of, which for me ended up, I don't know, I thought, I need shoes. I'm just going to put all my shoes in a bag. I only wear one pair of shoes, but somehow I think in my mind, I was connecting wa connected water to the need for dry coverings on my feet. So I had a huge bag of shoes that I haven't worn for years. I had my small go bag and I had my cat as well. And the cat was pretty much the reason why I wanted to stay because he doesn't travel well, he gets car sick. But with the water coming in and like 10 minutes to go, we just put everything in this big SUV that we had rented. I knew that the water would be coming into the house. I just thought I had more time. Everyone is saying, we have to go. go. I get into the SUV and we're trying to drive off. By the time I'm getting into the SUV with the cat and everything, the water's already covering the tires. All this is within 10 minutes. We end up going towards Richard Street behind the line of three cars pushing through the water. They're parting the water enough so that the rest of us can follow. But we're, we were able to, we were 
we were able to dry ground just north of the park, coffee park. I think we stopped the car for a moment, just like took a breath. It was a bit intense. All of a sudden the lights went out. The water was so high, it was really crazy. I live in the second floor and it was rising really fast. And my husband and my son, my son is 14, went out to rescue a friend of mine, a woman that lived in the, on the first floor. They're out on Columbia Street and the water looks like it's coming up out of the ground. My husband, who's not a young man, and my son get caught in the flood on Columbia, swimming through all the dirty water. They were so drenched. They, they get her to safety and then start coming back through the dark water, getting deeper. And the force of the water was threatening to knock my husband over. It, it came close to doing it. My son had to help him back. He's not so young, my husband. The water was pushing and rushing. They, they might have gotten swept away and they got back safely. It was, it was terrible, it, terrible drenched. It was insane. The power went out. Transformers were exploding. Water was coming in. It was like Armageddon. It was insane. As the water surged up, we remembered that the car was around the corner. We'd been so concerned with sealing up the building, we'd forgotten about it. I ran around the corner. Ironically enough, the water was pouring down Van Brunt Street, and the car was a block off Van Brunt or, or coffee uh, and completely dry. I jumped in. I couldn't cross Van Brunt, so I drove the wrong way down Coffee Street to Conover Street, drove down there. Conover Street was okay. I passed Dykeman, and there was a car ahead of me that I was kind of following. It is pitch black at this point. I can see from his headlines that Walcott was a river and he was stopped. As, as I was waiting to see what was going to do, a transformer just exploded over his car. This is chaos. I reversed, went back to Dykeman, drove the long way down Dykeman, and then headed up Van Brunt because the water hadn't quite reached there yet. By the time I got up a couple of blocks, it was just water pouring in from every side. I parallel parked and ran home, ran. By the time it was getting knee deep, every few minutes it would surge and get instantly higher. We went upstairs, there was nothing else to do. Oh my God, man, all the little primitive little houses out there, all the electricity going on fire, blowing up. Each and every one of those houses was kaboom. Kids like, look, look, fire, look, fire. You know, trying to call the firemen's, you can't call nobody. No power, nothing. No phones, nothing. Houses was just going on fire right in front of us. And I was just looking at it. Most scariest shit. Sorry for my language, but it scared the shit out of me. Oh, my Lord. Jesus, forgive me. But my boy, he was panicked. Panicked ain't the word. My kids don't even want to look at that movie, uh, 2012. Don't even ask them to talk about any of this stuff. Been here 20 years. Never in my life seen something like this. Never, never, ever, ever in my life. We went to a friend's place in Clinton Hill. They had offered to let us stay with them earlier. I I think the day before. We made a quick call and they said, Cat, that's fine. Yeah, they lived on the seventh floor of this high rise, but it was incredibly windy. But they had this incredible view too of Brooklyn, sort of watching the different areas of the neighborhood. 
go dark or Brooklyn go dark rather. Just hearing the wind howling. We were standing on the deck trying to figure out what's next to do. And there's just explosions. The electrical fires and explosions just blew white light that you'd see in Staten Island or downtown Brooklyn. Finally, for 30 seconds, Manhattan was lit up with this white blue light that knocked out all of Manhattan. Didn't it rain, children? Talk about rain, oh my Lord. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it, oh my Lord? Didn't it rain? Didn't it rain, children? Talk about rain, oh my Lord. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? Oh my Lord, didn't it rain? It rained 40 days, 40 nights without stopping. Noah was glad when the rain stopped dropping. Knock at the window, a knock at the door, crying, Brother Noah, can't you take on more? Noah cried, no, you're full of sin. God got the key and you can't get in. Just listen how it's raining. Will you listen how it's raining? Just listen how it's raining all day, all night, all night, all day. Just listen how it's raining. Just listen how it's raining. Just listen how it's raining. Some moaning, some groaning, some groaning, some praying. Well, a whole. Didn't it rain till dawn? Rain on, my Lord. Didn't it? Didn't it? Didn't it? Oh, oh, my Lord, didn't it rain? Oh, God sent a raven to spread the news, to hoist his wings, and away he flew, and to the north and to the south, and to the east and to the west, all day, all night, all night, all day. Well, just listen how it's raining. Well, just listen how it's raining. Oh, listen how it's raining. Some praying, some crying, some running, some moaning. Will you listen how it's raining? Just listen how it's raining. Just listen how it's raining. Didn't it rain, children? Rain on, my Lord. In the height of the storm, the wind was gusty. Didn't it? Didn't it? Our biggest concern was the surge. Didn't it? Didn't it? We didn't know what was coming. Didn't it? Didn't it? We're looking at each other saying, I'm never going to see much of this again in real life. Rain. Day after. I came home before high tide the next morning. Just before eight. I walked in my front door and I was relieved that it was dry. On my upper floor it was dry and I thought, oh my gosh. I got away with it. There was an odd smell and then there was no electricity, of course. There was this odd smell and I walked downstairs and I only got a few stairs in when I realized the basement was absolutely filled with water. The basement for me is my bedroom, my bedroom, my daughter's bedroom, my office area. It was underwater. Everything was floating. It was the eeriest thing. The water was dark and it smelled a bit and it really it was sewer backup. None of the water came through the windows or anywhere else. It came up through the sewers. It took about two days to get it out. You had to wade in it. You had to just get right in there because in order to drain the water from the place, you had to be continually brushing the debris away from the drains. There was so much debris, so much paper debris because of where I was. I think the first thought that hit me when I looked down and I saw my bedroom and all my clothes was, oh my God. I have a clothes on my back. Wow, that's it. After the water had receded and gone back, it was time to go look at the damage because I couldn't believe that the water had risen. People were running from it or taking pictures. It was dark and didn't know what was going on. 
Once everything got to the point where we could go outside, my son round, went around the corner and his car was under the water where people were telling us it had went down the block, which was crazy because now it was on the sidewalk. This was his first car. We had the car towed so it wasn't just in the middle of the street. And so happens we end up in front of the building where I work in. My son was upset. It was raining, the sun was out. It was a really crazy day. I'm taking him inside to settle down. I open the door of the uh, of the door and the lights are on. Everywhere else around us, we're in darkness. Where I work has lights. Later, I get a call from the founder and I tell her how the lights are on at the job. And she said, well, maybe we should call the businesses on Van Brunt. They could use the computers. I said, what about the people in the projects? Really, I know without their phones, how crazy it would really be. And if we let people come in and charge their phones and stuff, and she said, well, if you can get some help. One of my coworkers who did a lot of the work came in with this little boy. They live on the 14th floor in this tall building. It has no lights, no water, nothing. First day. I got a call from a man. I didn't know if we could be a distribution point. I'm like, sure. Then I turned around and before I knew it, there was a crew of bikes young people on bikes coming from the other side of like Williamsburg and they happened to be organizers from something and they came through and saying what do you need us to do they came marching like little soldiers now we say okay well maybe we could do something here by eight o'clock we had food being cooked one young woman I'll never forget made some soup it was the best soup we could think of that night because it was hot. I was starting, it was starting to get dark. We didn't know what was going on. People were coming in, charging their phones. It's something I'll never forget as long as I live because that does mean that we can unite. We can because it was all different colors, different nationalities. There was this young lady there that was from, from Korea. We learned that in her country, there were troubles and she had plans to go back. Her parents needed her but just to know that she was here helping us, you know? She had bigger problems in a bigger world was unreal to me. Our place wasn't big enough, so we reached out to the church across the street and went by the park. It was an example of starting with one and making a circle around a community with others. We were enclosed with help. I mean, the support was unreal, but without, I think the organizers who had come on bikes, no less, these were young people bright, college bound, willing to help people. They didn't even, willing to help people they didn't even know. At night when we closed it, we had to go back in the dark. The place was dark, pitch black for at least two days before they put up the big lights. I mean, you couldn't even see in front of your face. My friend and her daughter had to go up to the 14th floor every day, it was unreal. But it showed how strong we were as people too. We serviced, for 18 days, I can't even imagine how many people. I opened that door trying to comfort my own to get my son out of the rain. And now it was like saving the whole world. I was standing in my apartment in shock and people just started coming in and saying, for the next two weeks. Even though the house wasn't particularly livable, I did stay, I camped out because people were coming continuously and we had no cell service. And there was no other way to reach me but just to show up at my apartment. And people would, so I stayed. I really felt that. I felt this embrace from around the world coming at me.
It was absolutely beautiful. It really was. There was a real togetherness that frankly, not that I want to put myself in harm's way yet again ever, but it really was an aspect to that experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. Weekends were crazy. The neighborhood would get overrun with volunteers. You'd get sent to canvas, clean up, cut drywalls, and distribute food. I don't want to seem ungrateful. People did a lot of really good work. A lot of people only got through because of that generosity. It was just plain as day how the fact of their whiteness, the volunteers were mostly white, while the people in need were seen as these passive agents in a process we had less and less control over. I got involved with Occupy Sandy at the beginning, helping to set up a recovery hub on the day after the storm. The first few days of recovery were created this feeling of, you know, solidarity, cooperation. You had residents and these activists who were basically strangers working, cooking, and canvassing together. Everyone was talking about community-powered recovery. We were so proud of what we thought we were doing. Of course, it was inspiring and invigorating to see, to be a part of this spontaneous, heartfelt, and pretty damned effective work being done. The fact we weren't paying enough attention, that there wasn't a deep enough analysis around race and class became pretty damn obvious, to some of us at least, pretty early on. Definitely it caused problems in our day-to-day -day dynamics. A few days after the storm, this charity group partners up with the NYPD to distribute supplies. They were working with NYCHA housing police. They also asked the police to provide what they called crowd control. We're talking about mostly black and Latino folks just waiting in line for some damn supplies. Flashlights, pampers, baby formula and shit. So you go to basically call in the cops to provide sur surveillance with people who have to put up with that shit already? Of course, that's going to cause people to feel some kind of way. Now you got a strain on a relationship between people who live in the neighborhood and activists. Next thing, you got this clear division. You got these two groups. You have one group, the insiders, a group of four, the most part, white volunteers managing resources. And then you got the outsiders, people of color waiting in line in the cold for hours, with the police doing so called crowd control. This is the typical way people in need are always categorized and treated as criminals. I was at a meeting held in someone's loft apartment. They said the purpose of the meeting was to have better communication between groups working on relief efforts in the neighborhood. Occupy Sandy was there and they had the NYPD, the National Guard, a representative from the mayor's office, and this group of small business owners. There was about 30 people in total. Not much happened. The National Guard was going to distribute more freeze-dried meals. The mayor's office didn't have much to say. They certainly weren't making any promises. The 76th precinct captain sat in a corner under some stairs, mostly silent. Occupy Sandy was collecting and redistributing materials, providing hot food, and building a database of residents who needed home-delivered meals. We had even set up an emergency medical clinic since the neighborhood clinic was destroyed. So the meeting goes on, and more and more it's becoming clear that this wasn't what we had been told. This meeting was all about making sure this group of small business owners had direct access to all these people, these institutions, with power over the recovery effort. I look around and the racial composition is pretty fucked up. Red Hook is this predominantly working class black and Latino neighborhood. The people hosting the meeting had only managed to get one single long-term black resident who was a local organizer and he was clearly as disturbed as I was and wasn't afraid to point out just how fucked up it was that a meeting with so many people controlling so many resources 
gathered in one place didn't include anyone representing housing, much less any residents. I mean, really? For a meeting that important to exclude Black and Latino community leaders from the table was more than just problematic. It was dangerous. Then some business owners, community organizations, and city officials got together to form a small coalition specifically to secure funding from a private foundation. They did it with no guarantee of community oversight over how that money was going to get used. They gave 80% of the funds to support the recovery of small local businesses. 70% of Red Hook lives in public housing, and they're going to direct 80% to restaurants and boutiques. Mainly the business along a, a small gentrifying corridor. They disempowered and displaced working class Black and Latinos in the community. People with cultural, legal, and political capital quickly mobilizing to control incoming resources and then funnel, funneling them towards small businesses. This is just institutional racism. You getting mad, I'm getting rich. You getting mad, I'm getting rich. Watch out a little bit, watch out a little bit, watch out a little bit, watch out a little bit. I've been in my apartment for two weeks. No water, no electricity. It was just nothing. Like my building was the last on a long list. I didn't know how long. Towels on the floor. I lived in concrete apartments where I'm living right now with my kids in that apartment. Whole kitchen torn out and all the walls are knocked down. There's mold, all the tiles lifted up by itself because it was salt water and all that stuff. It lifted up and went rotten. They knocked the whole kitchen down. They knocked the whole bathroom out. I'm on the first floor, so all that water had to run to the basement and all the walls and all that water just ran up to the second floor. The guy came out and said, We got asbestos on the floor. I said, asbestos? I said, I got kids in my house. Dude, like, why do they have us living like this? I don't know that Sandy heard us. There's kids in this apartment, he said. You got to lift them up. Get them out of the house quick. Your kids are going to get sick. My daughters do have asthma. It's rough. It was rough. It was really, 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 really rough. It was rough. It really was. Yeah, so this is like hell. This is our kitchen now. Look at my kitchen. I mean, how can I, I live with this? Like these kids, like that. I mean, look at my floor. It's like, do we get help from the housing? This is my kitchen. And look, look how we live in. Look at my sink upside down. I'm still stressed. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I need to paint my apartment and get my life back together because my kids are like, Dad, look at this apartment. What can we do? We've got to wait for housing. But housing's like, they don't care. They really don't care. I'm like, so give me the five-gallon paint. Let me paint my apartment. I don't want my kids to live like this. My kids come out of school. They're looking at that. And they eat. There's no stove. There's nothing. God, what's going on? Look at my apartment. I need help. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to go to an office? You want me to fight? You, you want me to get in somebody's face? I mean, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to show my kids that. I'm trying to be nice about this. You know, get, give me the carpet. Give me the tiles. I'll do the tiles myself. 
I will paint my apartment myself. Give me the paint. When I'm going to get some help around here, when am I going to get some help? On December 5th, more than a month after the storm, Mayor Bloomberg finally came down to pay a visit to Red Hook. He didn't bother to stop in at the Red Hook houses in spite of the 8,000 residents who had gone without heat, electricity, even running water for weeks. Instead, Bloomberg went to the fairway to talk to the heads of local not-for-profits and members of pop-up charity created, of a pop-up charity created to support small businesses in the neighborhood. The conversation with Bloomberg reportedly focused on how to attract more shoppers to Red Hook, reopening the subway, stop at Smith's and 9th Street, and how to increase foot traffic along the Van Brunt Street. Someone explained it, someone explained that they were prioritizing the businesses in Red Hook because small businesses keep Red Hook alive. Sunshine, blue skies, please go away. The girl has found another and gone away. With her went my future. My life is filled with gloom. So day after day, I stay locked up in my room. I know to you, it might sound strange, but I wish it would rain. <clears throat> oh, how I wish it would rain. Because so badly, I want to go outside. Such a lovely day. But everyone knows that big girls don't cry. I got to cry because crying eases the pain. Oh yeah, people this hurt I feel inside, words could never explain. I just wish it would rain. Day in, day out, my tear-stained face pressed against the window pane. My eyes search the skies desperately for rain because raindrops will hide my teardrops and no one will ever know that I'm crying, crying when I go outside to the world, outside my tears. I refuse to explain, oh, how I wish it would rain. I'm a man and I got my pride. A lot of the supplies were, give, were begin, given out during working hours. People who had jobs had no way of getting assistance. Even now, they still give things out from time to time, but I never find out until the line is so long and I don't have so much time to stand on the line for hours, for four hours. I didn't even get help from FEMA. They didn't think I was damaged enough to get help. They said I had to fill out an SBA loan form, but I didn't qualify for that. Six months out, and I still haven't resolved with insurance. <laughs> Not even a little. We've even hired outside people to deal with them. Just this phone tag, run around, giving us wrong information. Oh, I have to keep this highly toxic material. I stopped throwing things away, and so now I have a pile of toxic stuff down there. I don't know what to do because the insurance company is supposed to come back out. That sense of living in a small town, you really saw that during the storm and right after. On that level, it hasn't changed. There is still that sort of community. But with that being said, there is still many of those residents that still haven't been able to come back. Anyway, we're fine now. And my landlord gutted the whole apartment and rebuilt it, and we're fine. We're in good shape. I could say I'm traumatized, but I'm thanking God. You know, he gave us not what we lost, but our lives. Because we could have lost our lives. We didn't know what was going on. We thought it was really the end of the world, you know. That's the way we looked at it. They say that we didn't lose a lot of life. You know, we, we lost a lot of life. People did die, you know. We look at each other like if it wasn't for all of us getting together and helping each other. 
look at each other like another way, you know? But there's things that you aren't going to get back no more. Once you've lost it, you're not going to get it back. Just because we're dry doesn't mean that the neighborhood now is completely on its feet. It doesn't mean that we still don't have the issues we had pre-Sandy, which were transportation issues, people getting into Red Hook. There's kind of a neglect, a neglect that's not being handled for this neighborhood. The income discrepancy is formed on the equivalence of the third world, not a developing nation, but a failed Soviet satellite state. The majority of the population lives on $14,000 a year, and the census track in the back is earning six figures, over $100,000. One block from the chicken place, somebody has a vehicle worth seven times the median income, and people feel there's nothing wrong with this. I got shoes, you got shoes. All of God's children's got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna put on my shoes. I'm gonna walk all over God's heaven. 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 Everybody talking about heaven. Ain't a going there. Heaven. Heaven. I'm going to walk all over God's heaven. I got a song. You got a song. All of God's children's got a song. When I get to heaven, going to sing my song. I think we're going to get more. I think we're going to have another one of this size or bigger and soon. Luckily, we didn't have a real bad winter. The weather was pretty mild, and I would say from November until just recently. A couple cold snaps, but for the most part, it could have been a lot worse. It wasn't that long ago we were having three and four blizzards every winter. Heartbreaking, seeing everybody throw their lives on the street. Plot piles of personal possessions lying on Van Brunt Street. A lot of people lost stuff that was really important to them. Sentimental. They just put a Band-Aid on top of a Band-Aid. It's still the Band-Aid. It's still there because them lights can go out. Power can go off at any time still within housing. We're still dealing with cold water. We're still dealing with heat going off. The Band-Aid is still on the Band-Aid. They're not switching out these big old generators for new boilers yet. 193 million just released from the government. Seen it on the news. Just released to housing. What are they going to do with it? Are we going to get what we need over here? People still suffering every which way you turn. They still suffering and they still struggling. Like I said, on the outside, it may appear we're, we're okay and we're making it. And sure, we're resilient. We made it through it, but the anxiety is still there. Maybe people may not be talking about it, but it, the anxiety of the entire situation is in the forefront of people's minds. People are doing whatever they need to do, working with whoever they need to work with to take care of what they need to get taken care of. People don't know how things work. People who don't have the connections or the sense of entitlement, those people just fall through the cracks. They got us fighting with each other over crumbs. People who used to be best friends don't even talk to each other anymore. That's when they swoop in and take over. So the Nape were warm and welcoming people but were treated by the ones who came as savages. The Lenape treated land as the spiritual mother. They didn't believe that she could be owned. That too made them savages. The Lenape drank from streams and rivers which horrify the Europeans. 
European rivers were polluted places that had been poisoned by centuries of misuse. But again, the Lenape were the ignorant savages. Through trickery and sometimes through violence, the Lenape lost their place in the universe, lands occupied for thousands of years. The Lenape were peaceful and kind, called the grandfathers or ancient ones by many other tribes, but their kindness masked the temper which if provoked could react with their own terrible violence. Hurricane Sandy was the largest storm ever recorded in the Atlantic Ocean. It reached a thousand miles and was responsible for over 200 deaths in eight countries. In just New York and New Jersey, the storm damaged or destroyed more than 375,000 homes. Humans affect global warming causing heat waves, torrential rains, and flooding. It's only going to get worse. Unless we do something about it. You're broken down and tired of living life on a merry-go-round and you can't find the fighter but i see it in you so we're going to walk it out and move mountains we're going to walk it out and move mountains and i'll rise up i'll rise up i'll rise like the day i'll rise up i'll rise unafraid i'll rise up and i'll do it a thousand times again and i'll rise up high like the waves i'll rise up in spite of the ache i'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again for you. When the silence isn't quiet and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe and I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet and move mountains, bring it to its feet and move mountains. And I'll rise up, I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day, I'll rise up, I'll rise up unafraid, I'll rise up. Yay! Yay! <laughs> what a piece! My goodness! Wow. Right? wow! 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 First of all, I'm sorry for confusing and conflating the Sandies and the Hooks. I know. I'm like, like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this is gonna suck, and it's like, oh, hey, this looks like differently you. than I thought it was gonna suck. Yeah, yeah, Isaac, when you said that the Sandy monologues, I thought, oh my God, Sandy Hook. Right. Then, nice. uh, I'm waiting for Sandy Hook. Thirty minutes of this. kids getting killed. That's right. <laughs> No, but um, yeah, I mean, Johnny and I had a little private back and forth. He was already thinking about uh, staging things. Uh, Reg, this was produced already, right? Um, mm -hmm. Did it in the school. In a school. Yeah. Kind of cool. Kind of Isaac, one thing that was interesting, what I was doing during the first, I guess the first 20 minutes, I had Google Maps on my other monitor and I was watching the neighborhood. I, I went back to 2009, I was watching, I was walking the streets of the neighborhood in 2009. And it was so cool because I made a neat, I saw the buildings you were talking about. I saw the streets you were talking about and the cobblestone and the old houses and the bars and that kind of thing. So it, 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 it really brought it home for me doing that. Yeah, and thinking about, I mean, just to kind of like expand on that, I mean, thinking about a stage production, not knowing what Reg already did with this, to have those images playing and projected in the back and then having a chorus of actors stepping forward and back into spotlights and then having the songs, you know, nail you from time to time. Um, and also just to say that having done the program with Reg and asking Reg about um, this brilliant piece 
he wrote they wrote on the fly basically based on our own rehearsals and this just what we were interpreting and what we were talking about from our own real life experiences with white supremacy reg just took that from rehearsals and created these brilliant monologues that were largely taken from what we said but but making a real artistic piece out of this whole thing i have to think reg that with your um how deft you are with writing that this probably even as as extensive as it is probably did not take you long to write is that is that correct it's a that's a, actually a great a great question the the hardest thing about writing the piece was there were i want to say maybe a hundred hours of the, these there was there were hours and hours of these testimonies so the hardest part was listening to all of the testimonies and then trying to distill those down into basically an hour, you know, an hour, 30, 30 pages of text. And uh, so that was, that was, that was the, the, the thing that took the longest. By the time the decision was made, what the, what, how, how it was going to flow, what I decided to do was I was going to just try to tell the story of the 24, like the 24 hours and then jump to the six months after. And once that was clear it was really just pulling 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 those pieces and then tying the characters together thematically that's always a little bit of a of a challenge making them all sound like different people giving them different voices which i hope was accomplished yeah and i'm among uh very accomplished in one way or another playwrights playwriting and stand-up comedy are the two final frontiers that i don't know i will ever venture into but one of the reasons is just that like to create nine eleven different person i don't have that going on in here um but what you had going for you was that you actually took real stories and went ahead and accepted everything that that was giving you and then decided to create it into an art piece that had to be emotionally taxing i was i was kind of emotional listening to it i was thinking wow this was really what a, what a traumatizing experience. I don't know. I was, I was worried about uh, Stephanie and Margaret. I was worried about y'all too. It was, it, it was very, uh, Margaret was part of the rehearsal process. Everyone which, cried at the end of the first show. I mean, I cried. It was a lot because we had all just sort of been through Sandy and we weren't here, but it was, it was so much. And yeah, and we rehearsed for a long time. We, um, uh, yeah, we sort of came up, like we all, as the entire cast, of course, uh, with Reg directing us, did the blocking. And um, I remember, I remember a lot of the blocking, strangely, reading, uh, yeah, hearing the play again. I remember what we did. I remember what it looked like. Um, yeah. I was in the audience. It was very healing for the community, but people did leave in sometimes crying and in pain, but it was very healing. and. Uh, and uh, uh, Reg did it, so the audience sat in a circle around the actors, and so you were in the circle of the community. You were also in the storm with them, you know, there was a lot of recreating the storm with the kind of the swirling, there was swirling and mania, so you were in the storm and you were in the community. You were in it when they were separated, when the sides of the of the community were separated from each other and, and uh, 
It was intense and but but very very and healing discussion. And there's discussion. It'd be, all... it'd be interesting to do a stage reading of a reading of this outside on the docks in Red Hook. I think that'd be pretty cool. Which could be done. Would be outdoor theaters coming up there, Reg. Yeah, yeah, it's true. What's interesting is that when we did it, when you were talking about it, I think we had 12 actors, 12 crates, and a ladder. That was our set. Yeah, this sir black box could serve this very well. Oh, totally. You know, I, I, I don't want to veer this into a unnecessarily political direction, but it is political. And um, everything described is kind of a microcosm of, of how our priorities are and how they're defined in emergencies. It's that, that whole Reaganomics, just give it all to, to the upper and eventually we'll get some of that. And that's really not the case. And we're, we're seeing it now. And um, you can apply, I mean, this is Katrina. This is COVID. You know what I mean? I like Katrina. this shit is on repeat yep. over and over and over again. Take the emergency and the same shit happens over and over and over again. You're right. Like, You're right. Even 9-11. 9-11, we dealt with it like that, but the way we dealt with it was what we always do. Let's go bomb the shit out of people. And eventually, maybe we'll take care of first responders. Not really. Maybe if John Stewart makes enough of a fuss, then we will. Right. But you, you know? mentioned like 9-11. Like in reading this, they were talking about just, you know, go. we got to figure out how to get people shopping in Red Hook again. Well, after 9-11, it was like, just keep shopping. That's what go we to want. Disney World. Yeah. You know? Well, that's what Congress is doing now with the stimulus package. Let's give people twelve hundred bucks; so they can go shopping again. Yeah, six hundred. This is once you get it, you got it. You just—they know you're going to give it right back. Well, yeah. how? So you know, in this play, in twenty-four hours, uh, so much is touched on, and what I'm wondering is, having lived through it, um, it was it just? utter chaos and leaders showed up until the bureaucracy took over or, I mean, what was happening? You're asking or I'm asking, I wasn't here. Oh, well, well, what happened was during, during the couple nights of hurricane Sandy, uh, all the um, government officials, city officials went out to the Rockaways to save the um, homes owned by the policemen and the firemen mm -hmm. out there because that Rockaways was burning, 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 burning. And um, not much attention was paid to Red Hook and the projects there. So in those areas, though, I mean, until the bureaucracy started to show itself, what what was it just utter chaos or were, was everybody helping each other? Were there leaders that formed? Well, so Reg was organizing. There were a lot of organizers here. And in some ways, so what Johnny said, I, I recognize that as, as truth, but also... Uh, Red Hook is, you know, is, is, is cute. So, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, young hip organizers as, as Reg highlighted in the play with, you know, good in their hearts came out here to practice their organizing and save the people. And, and that did kind of help for a while. And the, the, the ridiculousness of some of that was drawn out. There were, uh, hurts and divisions in the neighborhood which were never smoothed over which were never solved there were there were hatreds uh, arose that were never solved but i was it chaos 
I think it was not chaos here because what happened during the actual flood of people looking out for each other really did happen for a couple months after. There was a lot of bullshit. Uh, there was the government money bullshit was always ended up being bullshit. And many people were never helped, especially in the projects. But it wasn't chaos because people were profoundly kind and organizing themselves and taking care of each other and cooking for each other. And that was pretty good. That was and pretty was that, was that something that was that was uh, like serving our better nature, getting getting across like cultural and racial divides. It was just happening or. I think it was happening. I think some people had a some people had experience like Reg and, you know, really as community organizers and some people just found the calling. Uh, Reg will remember there was a lady named Kirby who was a record executive type, a young, you know, record label person. And she, something came over her and she was like, we have to figure out who needs medication. We have to get a list of everybody who needs medication. We have to get it to them. We have to figure out who can't move. We have to, and then there were lists and there were bunches of people you could go volunteer and you'd show up and you'd take a baggie of, you know, tampons and diapers and whatever they had asked for that day. And take it up the stairs. This person just felt that calling and did it. And she's long gone. I mean, that that thing, you know, the helper and people showed up. Some people were just, you know, just volunteered. Some people who might have thought of themselves as leaders, I, you know, like me, I just didn't, but I showed up and carried baggies, you know. Uh, it was a, a people organized themselves and did things in the absence of the government doing anything really to help. Sound familiar? Although that is that is reaffirming. I mean, there's a there's yeah. a better angel inside of us, and sometimes it shows itself. Not once you're on salary. You know what I mean? It's always lower level. You know what I mean? Like that's where the conscience comes from. That's where the deeds come from. And like honestly, it's kind of on each other to like save the community. But once everybody's sort of been stabilized then they're like all right now what can we do to like re-engineer this so that it works for us you know yeah but but i mean you know the inspiration behind this is you know there's always going to be in my activist opinion there's always going to be the megalomaniacs the nefarious individuals that are that like politics because it gives them power and ego and center stage but that's it's how are we dealing with that otherwise? And so deciding to write something artistic that draws attention to the real suffering is what Reg is doing. Uh, I mean, Reg, was it something you just felt you had to say? Or was it something that happened just, you weren't even thinking about it, just all of a sudden, here I am listening to all these stories, and now I'm writing about it. And what was that? I, I knew that the that the interviews existed and that they were made available to the public. And I, I was like, that's gotta be, you know, that's the stuff of storytelling. Like to everybody tell, to, to get everybody's story and how democratic that you just get every, anybody who wants to come in and tell their story. So it's not like these situations where 
someone picks a handful of talking heads to tell the story, but it was just everyday, everyday people telling their stories. And um, yeah, just, I felt like that has to happen. Had no idea that it was gonna end up what it, what it was. Um, like you just think like, you know, really are people gonna be, is it gonna be interesting for people to just tell stories for an hour? Um, but then, you know, just sitting here on, on Zoom, I was like, wow, this is really great to listen to. This is really powerful um, and great as an enormous um, to hear even in these, you know, with everybody in these small boxes. So yeah, just instinct said that there was, there was something that had to happen. And, I, and that moment of healing really had to happen as well. Hey, Rich, I have a question for you. If you had to design the program for this play, for this piece, would you list all the characters' names in the program or just have one clump, I don't wanna say clump, but one clump of actors performing several roles? How would you do that? Well, what, you know, the, the, there were a lot of monologues that were pastiche for the play. And then the play was cast. Like, um, and, the, and the casting process, I didn't know who was gonna read what, but the casting process was, you know, I, I had the people do some exercises from the theater of the oppressed, which is how I, how I devised my work. And so once I realized who was, you know, the bodies that were gonna be in the piece, I was able to distribute things. Okay, I got you. And so I, you know, I even told Isaac that if Isaac wanted to just grab a piece of it and have, you know, people read snippets, that's fine. I would say when, that I would leave it up to any director to do with it. Okay, them. I was just curious. Yeah, and the songs too. I'm like, I'm not married, I wouldn't be married to those songs. Actually, I do have a question about that. Were, were those actual songs? Yeah, those are all songs. They're basically, you know, they're, they're, they're songs from like, from uh, like Mahalia Jackson, you know, they're to, to modern songs. I mean, they were certainly written like songs, but I didn't know if maybe you just came up with them. No, they were, they were all just songs. They were just like songs, popular music songs that seemed to, that, that were tied together by the theme of water and rain. That's all. You're going to have a rights issue um, with those songs, I yeah. think. Um, I, was actually, I was actually imagining that, you know, it could, the, the piece could be done without songs. Yeah. Or, or, or you just could have a composer um, assigned, you know, that you bring in uh, to write original work, but I don't think you can use those as is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I just want to say, as an audience member, you know, participant, it was just, it was just very energizing to read the, the, these these lines, you know, to play these characters, and but also hearing the story, you know, it's like it's the same old story as people were saying a moment ago. It's same old story, you know, just going for the for the money. Um, but you know, that's why you end up with songs like "Rise Up." You know, it just has to be said again and again and again, and it does end hopefully. So it's the same old story, but it's the same old response, which is on the ground level, you know, everyday people being there for each other. So it was wonderful. It was, re it was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Really great to hear you all read. Thank you so much for your generosity. <laughs>